Speak to us through your word. Show us your love. Amen. Well, we're looking, continuing to look today at uh, uh, the message of Hosea. And uh, you can find Hosea, you can find the sort of the beginning of the book, and I'm going to be flicking through it on page 900 of the Church Bibles. Last week, uh, when we were looking through it, we were left in a dark place. We saw that sin is infidelity to God, disobedience, and idolatry. And Hosea speaks of the devastating consequences of sin for the land and for the people of Israel. Because the people persist in their sin, God will have no mercy on them, and they are no longer his people. And I pleaded with you and with me, do not take sin lightly. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4 and following says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. I'm going to say something very strange. I hope that those of you who were able to hear last week and think about what some of the things that we, we thought through had a bit of an uncomfortable week. I hope that something of what was said last week has lived with you. And I hope that we've been shaken as we've come back to what Hosea says. Someone said to me at the end of the service, it's okay, I, I know the ending. Well, actually, it's not okay. When we think it's okay, we've not begun to glimpse the seriousness of sin. Sin has consequences. When we sin, we feel guilty. Now, people today will say, oh, you don't need to feel guilty about anything. Uh, you know, it's all a false guilt. Well, actually, no, this guilt is real. Hosea speaks about a right guilt which has to be borne. Hosea 13, verse 16. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they've rebelled against God. And there is a punishment for sin. Hosea chapter 2, verse 13. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. Because God loves us, he gets angry when we reject him. He says, my anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? And in Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, this is devastating. God says, I will have no more compassion. So is there no hope? Is there no hope for Israel? And if there's no hope for Israel, can there be any hope for us, especially when there have been times when we have fallen away? Hosea is a messenger of God's terrifying judgment, but he is also the messenger of the Old Testament supreme, of the love of God. And firstly, we see he uses the language of love as a language which overcomes guilt, his anger, and his hatred. 
We speak often about God's love, but our talk is shallow. We say God loves you, so you can do what you want. We say God loves you, so you must never feel bad about yourself. We say God loves you, so you can expect life to go really well for you, and you'll be wealthy and healthy in this world. We say God loves you, so it'll be absolutely fine for you when, you, when we die. God does love you. But because he loves you, none of those things are true. We cannot separate the love of God from the anger and hatred of God. It is in the shadow of the anger and hatred of God that the love of God shines even more brilliantly. The love that God has for us is a love which includes, embraces anger and hatred, but also overcomes anger and hatred. Now that might sound paradoxical, but I suspect that most of us know something of a love like that. Philip Yancey writes in his book, Amazed by Grace, of a friend who told him about their teenage daughter. She was taking drugs, abusing her body, and destroying not only herself, but those who loved her. His friend said how one night when he was waiting up at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning for his daughter to return home, he prayed to God that he might feel like the father of the prodigal son felt for his lost son. That he would know the same longing, the same desire for his child. But he didn't. All he felt was a rage against his daughter for what she was doing to herself and what she was doing to his wife and himself. And yet, and yet... He was still waiting up for her. Hosea is called to live out this love that includes anger and rage, but which overcomes anger and rage. He loved Goma. He married her. They have children, but she rejected him and abandoned him. She went after another lover, possibly multiple other lovers. She enters into a series of abusive relationships and ends up at rock bottom. Everything Everything is stripped away from her. She even forfeits her life and we find her about to be sold as a slave. But God commands Hosea to go to the slave market and buy Gomer. He says to him, go, show your love to your wife again. Interestingly, show your love to your wife. His love had never gone. She had gone. No doubt he felt the anger and the rage, but his love was still there. And God says, show your love by going and buying her. So there's a message of hope. Even though Gomer was at the bottom of the pit, as good as dead, a commodity to be sold, Hosea loves her and pays the price for her. The price for a slave was 30 shekels of silver. It seems that Hosea gives half of that in money and half of that in goods in kind. She comes back, she lives in his home, not initially as his wife. One can imagine the relationship would be rather strained and tense. But over time, the relationship was restored. Hosea's experience is the experience of God. God's love 
And here we must remember we're using human language to talk about divine reality, far greater than anything we can know or experience. His love overcomes his anger and hatred. The love that God has for Israel, his delight in who she was and what she can become, the fact that he has bound himself to her, and his desire for intimate union with her cannot be frustrated by her sin or infidelity. After he has rejected her and punished her, yet he woos her again. And then we read in verse, chapter 2, verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. And this all-conquering love is described in Hosea chapter 11, which Di read for us. Uh, I have to say, Di, with remarkable power as well. Thank you ever so much for that. It is a remarkable chapter. God speaks first of his love for Israel. He speaks of his people's refusal to repent and the consequences of their sin. And then come those astonishing verses. How can I give you up, Ephraim? My brothers and sisters, we are rightly and deservedly objects of God's anger and hatred. We have sinned. We are guilty of infidelity, disobedience, and idolatry. There is a price to be paid. We've walked away from the one who loves us and who would lavish blessings on us. Those of us who are believers are without excuse because despite knowing the love of God, we continue to sin. And yet somehow... God's love for us overcomes our unfaithfulness and idolatry. That somehow leads me to my second point. Hosea uses the language, and I love this, I love discovering this, and I hope this excites you as much as it excited me. Hosea uses the language of death and resurrection to explain how God's love can overcome his anger. Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 are, I think in many ways, the key verses of this book. The prophet says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. They're verses that speak of the coming judgment, the destruction of Israel at the hands of the Assyrian army. They, they speak of that judgment as something that has already happened. The Lord has torn us. Uh, that's the way the prophets spoke. God, says Hosea, has already torn us to pieces. But it also speaks of how God on the second day will revive the people and on the third day restore them. Do you see? They are dead but they will be raised. We're told in the New Testament that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day because that was what the Old Testament says will happen. People say, well, where does it say that in the Old Testament? Well, if you look, there are two places we can go. The first is to the story of Jonah, who was in the belly of the large fish for three days and three nights. And the second are these verses. And in Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, God says, and this is even more clear, I will deliver them 
from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? In other words, how does God reconcile his unconquerable love for his people with the fact that sin has the ultimate consequence, death? What happens when an unstoppable force, God's love, meets an immovable object, our rejection of God? It's very simple. God puts his people to death and then he brings them back to life again. Jesus, in absolute love, identified himself with us. He took onto himself the sin of the people. He took onto himself our sin. He died. He paid the penalty. He paid the price. But God raised him again to life on the third day. You and I have sinned. God in his love hates our sin. God in his love is angry with us. God in his love will punish our sin. We deserve to die, to die eternally. But God in his love sent his own son. He died for us. And if I trust in the love of God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, if I respond to his love, his desire to be united with me, to embrace me by holding on to him and by embracing him, then his death becomes my death. His resurrection becomes my future resurrection. That is why a Christian is a completely new person. It's why the language of being born again as a Christian is actually not just optional, but it is absolutely central to what being a Christian is. We are born again as new people. Why? Because we have to die before we can become alive. We have, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, been torn apart by God. The lion has devoured us. But we have also, when Jesus rose from the dead, been given new life with a new heart and a new spirit. What Hosea is saying is that the old Israel has rejected the source of love and life and will therefore die, but she will then be reborn as something that is completely new. And thirdly here, Hosea uses the language of a new creation. The lion that tore the people into pieces becomes the lion who roars his people back to life. From Hosea chapter 11 again, they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They'll come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. I'll settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. But God is not remaking the people of Israel as they were. He is doing a new thing. If you were here last week, you may remember how in chapter 1, Hosea's three children are given significant names. Jezreel. God will put an end to Israel, put an end to Israel in Jezreel because of the violence that happened at Jezreel. Second child was called Not Loved. And the third child was called, not my people. But in the very next verse, God says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, 
they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. So the new Israel will not be like the old Israel, divided from Judah. Instead, they will be one people, united under one king, one leader. Hosea is speaking of us. He's speaking of the church, the people of God. He's speaking of all those who come to Jesus, those from the former old northern kingdom, from the southern kingdom, and non-Jews, Gentiles, like most of us. People who die with Jesus, but come alive with Jesus. This will be a people who hear God's call of love, who respond to God's call of love. They will have a new heart. And God speaks of the glory of this new people. The splendor will be like an olive tree. Their fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in their shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. So to summarize, the message of Hosea is that because of our sin, there is no hope. But because of the love of God, there is abundant hope. No hope? Abundant hope? How do we get from there, no hope, to here, abundant hope? The only way is we have to die. Thanks be to God for his astonishing love in giving us Jesus to do it all for us. The sentence of death on Jesus was the sentence of death for our sin. His death on the cross was my death and your death. If we put our trust in the astonishing love of God, when Jesus died, we died. And because he rose, we will rise. By faith, we can begin to live as people who have died with Jesus. By faith, we can begin to live as new people with a new name, a new identity, beloved people of God, a new heart, and a new spark of love for the God who first loved us. Our Father God, would you work in our hearts? Would you work in our minds? Would you give us that deep love for Jesus, who has done it all for us? Amen.